But now that Andrew is the same son you told us about just a bit ago when you were, had that devastation, he came out and seen you, right? Uh, torn yes, up in that yep, accident, yeah. Was he your only he child? Was in kindergarten. Did you have other yes, children? Yes, yep. He, no, he was, he was our only, only uh, child. We had, in fact, we, um, we adopted Andy when he was a little baby from Honduras. Oh, wow. And so he, he was even more special because we couldn't have any of our own biological kids. And, nice. and um, so when we were able to adopt Andy, he was our, our pride and joy. And he was just a, he was a great kid. And when he got older, he could walk into a room of grumpy old men and, and he'd be having them laughing in five minutes, you know, and... Dick, how old was he in 2015? He was 31 years old. 31 years old. Why did he take his life? What happened? He was in the Army, and um, he got deployed to Iraq, and he was over there for a little over a year, and he, he saw some things and had to do some things that weren't very pleasant, and, and when he got back... Knowing when to break through the boundaries of average to question the unquestionable is the sign of greatness. It's those moments when you get to the absurd stage that things truly get interesting. Though the world is in need of a new generation of leaders, leaders who have the courage to break through the boundaries and question everything around them. Well, society is yearning for bold and enthusiastic women and men to provide the necessary leadership that will be required for the next leap forward. The journey to get to the brink can be unpredictable, but knowing you're at the brink, pure genius, my friends. Today, we are on the brink of greatness. There's a lot of addiction out there. There's a big problem with addiction. And people take them when they're, when they're prescribed from the doctors, not knowing that, you know, they could get addicted in a, in a, in a way that they never really planned on so it's a very unassuming sort of problem people where it just hits you and you find yourself addicted you hear the stories you read the stories out there but today we have exactly one of those stories on the brink today i'd like you to meet our brink thinker dick beardsley today and his unique story of what happened with him and how he got through that addiction problem and what he's doing today he's a professional speaker and an inspirational gentleman here it's malcolm out loud here friends we're with kevin williams and uh Dick, it is a pleasure to have you on the brink of greatness, and we've got an incredible story because I've read through the whole thing, and it's quite fascinating what you're doing and what you've been through. But this all started back in a farming accident. See, a lot of people, it happens where something happened in your life that was unexpected, and then you have to take the pain medication because it's a serious problem, and the pain is great. It was 1989. Dick, bring us back to that moment of the Farman accident. This was a pretty serious accident. You were pretty mangled up from what I read and understood, and you could have died out there. Yeah, Malcolm. First of all, thank you very much for having me on your show. And yeah, it was, uh, I, I can remember it like it happened today, and it, it's coming up, it'll be 30 years coming up in November. But wow. I, um, I just kind of got in a big hurry one morning after I got done milking my cows, and, and um, I got a too close to a piece of power equipment that was running at the time and it grabbed me and it just it just wound me up in this machine and started you know pounding me into the ground around and around and and um somehow by the grace of the good lord i was somehow able to to hit the the switch and turn it off and i still don't remember how i got out of all that tangled mess of machinery but i remember standing next to my tractor and and it had pretty much torn all my 
clothes off. So I was pretty much, you know, standing there butt naked. And I had no idea what happened. Obviously, I was in shock. And I uh, I thought, well, gosh, I must have forgot to put my clothes on that morning. And, and um, Did you really think that, Dick, to, at that moment? Did you really think that way? I honestly did. Wow. Yeah, because, again, I, I my head was pounded into the ground so much and and i really had no idea what had happened so dick you were in a state of confusion obviously this was trauma that happened you're in a state of confusion and it's not just your body and your arms and your other but your your face your head was mangled too was it not oh yeah i had all kinds of head contusions i had broken all the ribs on my right side and punctured my right lung and broke my right arm and uh had a piece of steel somehow that must have been piece of junk steel laying on the ground that was stuck in my the left part so this of my was chest this was enlarged into you this was this was uh, en- encapsulated into your body you're saying yeah well i was after the accident after i got out of the tangled mess and i was laying on the ground i couldn't get up and i i um i started crawling you know on my belly and using my good left arm and because my right arm was broken and my right leg was seemed okay, and I just started grabbing and pulling anything I could and kind of slithering like a snake trying to get to the house so they, to try to get some help. I mean, what a sign that is. You're slithering toward the house, you say, right? I mean, the description yeah, you use, like, like a, a snake. snake. Yeah, that's a hell of a description, buddy. But you didn't have the power to stand up and deal with that. So so you're making, so you're, you're a farmer in, in the great state of Minnesota, Yeah. Not anymore, but I was back then. Yeah, I was. I, I, I milked cows for many, many years, and I've been a fishing guide since I was twelve, and still do that. Now, was this the accident? Did you give it all up after this accident? Um, well, I had retired from competitive running after the nineteen eighty-eight Olympic marathon trials, but I was still still running every day, and I still run every day today. I'm just very, very slow now. But, so let's tell um, people, too, you're, you're an athlete, you're a runner, you were in the Boston Marathon back in 82, and you've been running competitively for many years, huh? Yes, I ran competitively uh, all, you know, from the time I was about oh, 21 years old, and then even as I got into my early 50s, I was still ran competitively at the Grand Masters um, thing. But now I've, you know, I've got a couple of knee replacements and whatnot, and so I still run every day, but... I'm not very competitive anymore. Well, no, you run at the pace you need to run at. But, you know, I see the pictures on your site, and you look like a runner. Even today, in, at your age now, you would look like a former athlete. You can see that, and I see your picture of you running there. It's very, very nice, Dick. Really good sight there. Well, thank you. Yeah, very, very good. So so this accident happens. You, you're sitting out there. You're, you're uh, moving along like a snake up to the house to try to get help. You really didn't know what happened. You thought you forgot to put your clothes on. Uh, this thing had really ravaged your body. So what happens? Was somebody home? Did, was your wife there, somebody else? Or? Well, so my I knew my little boy, Andy, was off to kindergarten. And, and my then wife, my first wife, Mary, I knew she was either in the house or out in the barn. And, and so she ended up finally finding me about 100 feet away from the farm equipment. I was laying in the middle of the driveway. And I remember when... You know, she was started yelling at me, like, what happened? And I remember looking up at her, and, and I, my eyes, I, I couldn't focus very well because I was all messed up, but I could tell by the look on her face that I must have been a mess. And then she ran into the house and, and called 911, and, and then uh, eventually the ambulance and the sheriff got out to our farm. And Which I'm sure, when you say eventually, I'm sure that seemed like forever. Yeah, it, it did, but, but again, I was, you know, I was... 
I think I was kind of in and out of consciousness exactly. a little bit. So it was, you know, it, it, time kind of, it's hard to remember exactly how long I was waiting there. But, um, you know, the, the, the first responders did a great job and got me to our little local hospital. And Yeah, how long and was the recovery time, Dick? How long was the recovery time and what happened? Well, so they took me to my our little hospital in town, and, and I was there for about three or four days. And 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 then once they they could transfer me then down to the Minneapolis St Paul area to a big hospital there and I was in the hospital there for about I think it was about six weeks and had two surgeries and they look twice they thought they're going to have to amputate my leg but I had great doctors and eventually I, I got to come go back home and then unfortunately about two weeks later I I got a real bad infection in my leg and. They had to rush me back into surgery, and and they again they thought they might have to take my leg off above the knee. But um, and I, I was in an isolation room for two weeks. When the doctors and nurses would come in, they had all this gear on that uh, you know masks and headgear and stuff. And but I, I you know I uh, fortunately I recovered, and and uh, even you know probably within about eight months, I think I was back out doing a little jogging again. Wow, wow. But life had changed uh, forever for good, hadn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I remember laying in that hospital, and the, the last thing I wanted to do was go back to the farm. I mean, I was having these terrible nightmares at night and in the hospital and because of the, the accident. And But eventually, you know, you, you get over that, and you think, well, you know, it's, you well, some do. A more careful Not time. everybody gets over that, though. Well, I think what you're speaking about, Dick, is a form of PTSD. Are you not? Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's part of it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. A lot yep. of people have that trauma, and the trauma is—it's devastating. I mean, it can take a long time to get through that in your life. Some people never get through it, Dick. I mean, it goes on forever, and they're—the um, nightmares come back a lot. I mean, we see that a lot from veterans overseas. We see it with our law enforcement community, but we see it with regular everyday people like you and I, buddy. I mean, it happens to oh, anybody. Yeah, yeah that, that tra- oh, something you're... traumatic in your life. And it just, the trauma, it hits your life and you never really get over that. It's, there's, a, you gotta, there's ways to cope with that and deal with it. Listen, um, back then when this thing happened, back in 89 now, this accident changes your life. And um, so this is when you started taking pain medication, I'm assuming, from the accident, right? Yes. Yeah, so what I, I'll never forget this. I was, you know, in our little small town hospital and I had, you know, all kinds of doctors and nurses around me. They're trying to figure out what's going on and how badly hurt I am. And I was in so much pain. And I remember a nurse came in and said, Richard, I'm going to give you a, a shot. It's not going to take the pain away, but it will help. Right. And, um, man, she gave me this shot in my hip and, oh man, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And she came back in a little bit later and I said, man, I go, ma'am, what was that? And she goes, oh, it was a, a painkiller called Demerol. And, and, um, man, it was, I'd never had anything like that feeling in my life. And, and, um, like, like she said, it didn't take the pain completely away, but it, it sure did, you know, kind of just kind of make you forget about it a little bit. And, well, that's what those and, pain you know, medications got... do, Dick. They, they, uh, let's tell folks a minute. The, the pain medications, what they do is they alter your brain a little bit so that your brain forgets that you have the pain there that's hurting. So it's really an altering brain sort of deal. You, you know that. 
Yeah, yeah, and it and it does, and and I, you know, and I, I the last thing I ever thought would ever happen to me was to get addicted to anything, and and um, but you know, and like my, you know, those those opioids for a short period of time are very beneficial to help you recover and get into rehab as far as, you know, like I had to really do a lot of rehab and to be able to bend my leg and walk again and stuff. And for short periods of time, you know, that's what they're made for, but it's, it's long, you know, like eventually I ended up getting a, a, two years later in a bad car accident. And then I, I was in the hospital again with more surgeries. And then I, I got hit by a truck when I was running near Fargo, North Dakota, and and back in the hospital, more surgeries, and and I had I was on this pain medication, and then and then eventually, you know, it, and I remember my doctor saying, you know, told me about the dangers. Every doctor I had told me about the dangers of being on the the, the opioids for a long period of time, and but you know. Like I tell people, you know, no doctor forced me to take those pills. I mean, I took them under my own choice and because it did help. But then I got to a point where, you know, I was healed up for the most part after the accidents and and all the surgeries. And yet I continued to take the pills and continued to seek the pills from the doctors. And then, you know, my doctor would say, "I, I can't, you know, so the doctors finally the, the doctors finally started to get get on to that and they weren't going to give the prescriptions anymore. Yeah, correct exactly right, but then what I would do, mm-hmm. I just went to another doctor. Right. And then right. they'd give me some and then when he wouldn't give any more I go to another doctor and So you kept and changing doctors it, to get the pills. Yeah, but and but the good thing now is Malcolm is that it's virtually in possible to do that now because right. all the medications now are are tracked on a computer so I, I could right. I could go to a doctor here in Bemidji, Minnesota, mm-hmm. and a doctor in Boston would right. know what I was, yeah, what yeah. kind of it, medication. What I it is taken. is everything's electronic now. So all your records are right. electronic. Your tests are electronic. They can uh, actually get your test and your results and the medications electronically. Now that was a big push for the nation to do that. Uh, clearly, I want to ask you a couple of things here about this now. The medication now. When you're taking the pain pills and and you didn't really need them anymore, but then you were going back and changing doctors. Yeah. Let, let's understand a moment here. Let's take a moment and understand why. Now, what I, when I say why, was it that you liked the feeling that you got from that medication, those pills you were taking? Was it that you liked that feeling that puts you in another level of stratosphere? Was it that you didn't, because you, you, you lose some control? What was the motivation? Was it, what was the driving force as to why you felt you still wanted to do it? Yeah, I'll, I'll be very honest with you, Malcolm. It, I liked how it made me feel. Mm-hmm. Honest to goodness. I, I liked how it made me feel. And, and I, you know, personally, mm-hmm. I, thought I, I thought everything was under control, that, you know, these pills just made me, and I'm a happy guy anyhow, but they made me even happier. Some people, it makes them depressed or they get exactly. all sleepy. Yeah. To me, it just made me, it just get, made me feel really good. And, and so yeah. um, I just kept seeking more and more of them, which I look back now, how stupid. But at the time, man, it, it was just a, a nice feeling, to be honest with you. Now, Dick, you got to a point where I read somewhere, and you correct me on this, please, but I read somewhere you were taken upwards or – not too far from a hundred pills a day. Yeah, it was not quite that many, but somewhere in that 
80 plus range a day. I mean, what does and, that do um, to your body, Dick? How do you survive well, that kind of thing? I don't, I don't understand. How does the human body, brother, for real, real question? How do, you, how does your body deal with that? I mean, Malcolm, that's, that's a great. Why didn't that, that kill you, buddy? Great, why, why didn't that kill you? Well, it, it should have been. Besides the grace of God, and because when I finally got caught, and the, when they took me to the hospital, the first thing they did was pull blood samples because they wanted to see how bad my my liver and all the kidneys and stuff right. were damaged. Right. And the doctors were absolutely amazed at how little problems my liver showed, if any at all. And, the, you know, for, the, the good Lord has given me a very high metabolism. Even when I don't run, I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm fortunate I don't gain weight. I'm just one of those people. Right. And they said, my body metabolized those drugs so quickly, mm-hmm. but I, Malcolm, I was within, before I got caught, I, I really believe I was within a, a couple days of taking a handful of pills at one night and just never waking up again. Because I know my body, it, they didn't, the last month when I was taking them, it didn't even feel good anymore. I was giving me headaches and I'd have to take them every 20, 30 minutes just to get the headache to go away. The, yeah. the, the, the good feeling was not there. I was burning a hole in my gut. And so I had to drink, you know, like a half a bottle of Maalox every time I took some pills because it was hurting my stomach so bad. I knew I needed help, but I was so ashamed and I didn't know who to turn to. And, oh, boy. So, Dick, so you consider yourself at that point you were suicidal? No, not at all. You were not suicidal. No. So, so when when you say you were going to maybe take the extra pills in in a couple days, you wouldn't have been here. That wasn't an intentional thought. That was just a health thought that it it might take you out then. Huh? Oh, exactly. Okay, yeah, I right. just because you know I was taking okay. pills throughout the day, and then at night before I'd go to bed, and you know what it does is it lowers your heart rate and respiration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think eventually there would have been such a I would at least that's what I thought that man, if, you know that if I would have been, hadn't got caught, that eventually, eventually it would have killed me. And thank goodness it came to an end before it did. Right, right. Well, we'll talk more about that in the next chapter, Dick, here. But um, what even gets more profound with the story, as folks are hearing it now, it, it, we're all hearing it for the first time here, but uh, is that, you know, okay, so life throws a few curveballs at you. So Dick has that accident, people out there. You know, you've had accidents, trauma in your life, possibly out there. You know, you had that happen. I've had it happen to me. A lot of people have had it happen, okay? But then he has another series of accidents. He had, he was in a car accident, a truck accident, he said, some other problems. He had a few traumas in his life that brought him back to the pain pills. The pain pills become part of the journey, uh, as you hear him talk, and he's taken the massive amount of them. I mean, could you imagine people out there taking 80 to 90 pain pills? I mean, that's insane. And again, without his high metabolism, he would have never made it, clearly. But here's where, to me, this story gets very personal, and uh, it becomes a wow, because uh, um, sometimes luck is not on our side. Sometimes things happen in life, but uh, what happened in Dick's case is that... Um, Life changed for him even more dramatically in 2015 when his son, Andrew, committed suicide, a victim of PTSD himself. Um, We will dive more into that chapter, friends, next. You're listening to Dick Beardsley. He's our Brink Thinker today on the Brink of Greatness. Be back in just a moment. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world to unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. 
news blogs, informative podcasts, and entertaining videos. It's AmericaOutloud.com, where the conversation never ends. With 24-7 streaming on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. bring it back if you don't mind to your son Andrew and what had happened there back yeah. in more recent times actually that's just a few years ago buddy what happened now that Andrew is the same son you told us about just a bit ago when you were had that devastation he came out and seen you right uh, torn yes, up in that yeah, accident yeah was he your only he child was in kindergarten. did you have other yes, children yep he, no he was he was our only only uh, child we had, in fact we um we adopted Andy when he was a little baby from Honduras oh, wow. and so he, he was even more special because we couldn't have any of our own biological kids and and um so when we were able to adopt andy he was our our pride and joy and he was just a he was a great kid and when he got older he could walk into a room of grumpy old men and and he'd be having them laughing in five minutes you know and dick how old was he in 2015 he was 31 years old 31 years old why did he take his life what happened he was in the army and um he got deployed to iraq and he was over there for a little over a year, and he he saw some things and had to do some things that weren't very pleasant. And and when he got back, you know, he started getting very paranoid about things, and and just uh, it was really tough to watch. And so we, you know, we were encouraging him, trying to get help, and he started getting some help at the VA hospital in Fargo, North Dakota. And um, but the the medications they had him on that kind of helped him with his, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, it made him real lethargic and whatnot. And, and, uh, so he quit taking his medication, thought he could handle it on his own. And on October 4th of 2015, I talked to him at about four o'clock that afternoon. He was all excited because he had just bought a stationary bike and, and he, he, he was so excited because he goes, he goes, pop, now I, I won't have to run outside this winter. I can just ride my stationary bike in his house. And then, Twelve hours later, he had uh, he took his life. Now, and, and you and you never seen it coming, did you? You didn't know. Well, I, I saw some things that that scared me and his mom. That you know, just the way he talked and things like that. But you know, nothing to the point where I thought, oh boy, that he would take his gotta, life. We got to let's take a moment on this point here, and and Kevin. How many times do we see this? We've covered this many times on the brink of greatness, but, you know, let's take a moment and talk about, here is his son, Andrew. Now, what's what I find very interesting about this, this was a young boy who was born in Honduras, you said here, Dick, a moment ago, I believe, right? He was yes. born in Honduras. You adopted him, and this is the beautiful thing about America. I mean, he became an American citizen, I, I'm assuming, and he served in the armed forces, Yeah. Dick is yeah, absolutely yeah. you bet but this is, is this is what life is about this is america this is what we have it's who we are here and but kevin how many times do we talk about these young men and women who are absolutely devastated from the plight of war and the ptsd by golly we hear that so much today don't we we do i mean they said what 22 people A day. commit suicide every day so A day. Yes, we've had multiple people who are actually working with our servicemen on overcoming PTSD. So, yeah. I, when I heard when I read this on on Dick's uh, website, it really kind of hit me. Yeah. Um, you always w- have a hope that you know we can reach out to others and help them, and 
and try to make their lives better. Yeah, no, it's, I know it, it's personal. I know, I know you and I think the same way, Kevin, uh, but here he is, here's a young guy and, um, he, uh, it gets to be too much to bear and he takes his life and we see this far too often. And like you say, the numbers we understand are, and, and you may know as well, Dick, but they're in that uh, 2022 range a day. So what happened is, uh, Andrew became a, a, a stat with those 22 a day, every day. If you can imagine that families I lose know. their sons every, and daughters every day. Is that m- not mind boggling or what? It totally is mind boggling. And it, tw- 22 veterans take their life every day and one present day service person. And, you know, like when Andy, when he came back from Iraq, there was no like, um, no type of uh, program where, you know, for a year, over a year, he was, you know, on basically wide awake, eyes looking right and left 24-7. And then right. he gets back, and all of a sudden, there, there's nobody to kind of help him transition back to, to when they dumped him at a base down in Texas. And, and um, you know, he looked fine. You know, he wasn't missing a leg or an arm or anything, but boy, that, that mental... Uh, part of it can just be even yeah. more devastating, yeah. and that's what it was with him. Yeah, let me take just a moment, Dick, with you and tell uh, folks out there, and you as well, so you know. I think this is a very passionate uh, subject matter to all of us. Uh, I know it's got to be to you, Dick. It certainly is to yeah. Ke- Kevin and I, uh, and that's why we put such a spotlight on it here on the brink. I mean, remember all the way back in the beginning where we had Andy Ladner on, Kevin, and some of the super nice, unique, I mean, some of our heroes and patriots. But I want to mention two quick things here for those who are listening. We get a lot of military who listen to our shows a lot. And uh, I want to mention we just had a show we did with Jake Clark. This guy is unbelievable. I mean, he is all of that and a bag of candy people. You need to check out the show on the brink of greatness. Jake Clark, Mission of Miracles, he says, starts by saving one warrior at a time. So his goal, he deals with a lot of these uh, warriors and military folks who come back, Dick, and what he does is he tries to combat that PTSD. He has, and he offers his services free of charge to the vets, and they raise money. And he's amazing what he's done with his uh, his movement in life. The guy's absolutely. The talk will move you if you haven't heard it out there, folks. You got to go listen to this Jay Clark talk. I mean, it will move you. Um, it's it's a talk that is. Um, you'll you'll feel it. You'll feel the energy and the passion in the air. So he's helping. So again, to our family out there, to our heroes and our men and women that served in our armed forces, when you come back, there there is hope. There are programs now that Dick was just saying before weren't out there, but they are. There are some programs. There are multiple out there now. But Jay Clark has got a program like that, and he wants yeah. to help people. Right, right, Kev. Yeah, it's it's called Save a Warrior. Save a Warrior dot org, I believe it is. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. the thing is, these had seven hundred and eleven people go through, mm-hmm. veterans and first responders, and after going through the five and a half day pro five and a half day program, mm-hmm. he's only lost three who have committed suicide after. I mean, that's over 99.5%. And these were people who were going to be, who were going to take their life is what Kevin's saying. You hear what he's saying, people. These were, these were, these were, these were soldiers that were in very bad shape, Dick. They, they were, they were, um, they were uh, highly suicidal. They probably would have taken their life if they didn't get the help. I mean, those numbers are staggering, you know? Yeah, they, they are. And the fact that he's out there helping others. Exactly. 
veterans and whatnot. Boy, that's that's great. I uh, I, I really I, like this, Jake. I, I can't think Promise enough. me, Dick. Listen to that show if you haven't heard it yet with Jake. And uh, I will see what you think. You'll be so moved by it. I'd love to hear what you think after you hear the show. Um, it's uh, it's quite the program. I mean, it. I get lifted in goosebumps when I think about it. I really like Jake a lot. A lot. Um, I think Kevin figured that out when we had him on here for the program, mm. huh, Kevin? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> was, I know. He was uh, but, but, special but man. Sure, special man. Yeah. So I'm sure Dick. You know, when he's out there, you know, giving his talks and right. motivational, right. he probably talks about his son. And there's probably a lot of people out there you know, who have PTSD just like his son. And so Jake is just one of those programs that's available that's working. Yeah. And I just think, you know, it's best yeah. that everyone knows about it because we yeah. all have friends. And it's worth taking a couple of minutes and me telling folks about it, Kev, because you never know who's listening now who didn't hear that show. You know, we just don't know. Um, the other one I want to mention is our, our dear ally and just one of the one of the other big groups, Dick, that you'll probably agree have a lot of problems with PTSD as our, our law enforcement community. You see, absolutely. Uh, yeah, our law, our men and women that uh, in blue. These are the these are again just like our. Again, yeah, it's the trauma. It's what they experience on a day to day basis, people, and that's it. Just it, it messes with your brain. It, it screws you up, is what it does, and you have to fight those demons every day. It's it's tough. So that we that's why we all need to have such respect for these people for a lot of reasons because some are keeping us safe domestically. Others are internationally. When you think about it, there's no higher calling than to serve in the military or our law enforcement community. Think about that, people. I mean, I, I'll tell you, we salute them at America Out Loud every day, every day. We hold them in the highest, highest regard. But Lieutenant Randy Sutton has an organization now called The Wounded Blue. I just want to throw that out there as well, thewoundedblue.org. Please check that out. There's a documentary film they're bringing out there. And Randy is just amazing, Lieutenant Randy Sutton. He's got a show on America Out Loud, Blue Lives Radio. I love to talk about this stuff, Kev, because these are people on the front lines doing phenomenal work. How how can we not mention them, right? (laughs) Well, it was just funny that Jake and uh, Randy actually had met previously. And actually, Randy's going out to Jake's program. Yeah. to see how it works to help the, the men in blue. It's a small world, Kev. It's a small world, really. Think about it. And I love the people we're bringing along with us. That's the beautiful thing about this platform, Dick. I, I feel like we're creating such lifelong friends here and people who get it. And the people we get, uh, Kevin and I get a chance to have on the program here. You talk about a drug, uh, Dick, or a pill or a, uh, or a high. This is about the biggest high you could have over here, buddy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and the, I think the more people talk about suicide the less stigma it becomes and and more help is can get out there to the folks that need it the most so that's that's great yeah it is indeed and so with your son um uh, again andrew uh, it was the same boy who came out to see you when you were in the farm and had the big accident back in 89 as we understand um and and then you went on this big expedition of valium percocet uh, demerol all these uh, narcotics uh you got to the point in your life where you were actually stealing them and doing all kinds of things. Just, am I right, Dick, or is that wrong? Uh, correct me. Oh no, that's that's right. I you know I was um, I was forging my own prescriptions, and I mean I'd never been in any trouble ever in my life. I'd never stolen as much as a piece of bubble gum, but I you got arrested you know, for this, did you not, Dick? You got arrested for this. I yeah, I did, and and thankfully I got caught. That's what saved me. And, and you know I look back now. Again, that's another thing that's almost impossible to do now because, you know, back then you, the doctor just wrote your prescription on a piece of paper and it was so easy to copy. Again, now everything's computerized, so 
that really helps cut down that, which is a which is a good thing. But yeah, I mean, you know, your life becomes gets to the point where all you care or all I cared about in hell was to get the pills, take the pills, and make sure I didn't get caught. Right, but at the same time, you were going through that difficult period. Your dad was actually dying of pancreatic cancer. Yes, correct. My dad uh, was dying. Of, he died of pancreatic cancer in nineteen. 19- the summer of 1996, which was at the height of my addiction, and um, it was it was it was ugly. And I, you know, I look back, and maybe my dad and I were real close. We hunted and fished together all my life, and and um, I was the only boy in the family. And and I look back now, and I, you know, maybe maybe I was taking a lot of pills back then, just because I was having trouble dealing with my dad dying of cancer. You know, and uh, it's hard to say for sure, but. Um, I bet when he when he was dying, that was at the height of my of my addiction, no question. What um, before we close the uh, chapter a moment on uh, Andrew? Tell me what what was it? Do you think that really um, took him out? You know, I'm I'm not sure. I, I really he he left no note. Um, we've that's one thing. You know, my first wife, who we've stayed very good friends with her new you know her husband and my wife Jill now and. And that's, we've all tried to figure that out. Um, why? And I think he just got, I think he just got tired of fighting these demons in his head and didn't like the way it made him felt and thought that uh, it would be better, you know, being with the good Lord instead of being down here on earth. Yeah, yeah. That's tough, buddy. That's tough. And that was your son, your only son. Yeah, it was, I tell you, it, it made going through the addiction and the recovery from that uh, when I w- had to go through that 22 years ago, I, I thought, well, you know, at least I know one thing. I'll never have to go through anything more difficult than that. And I was very wrong because when Andy died, it was uh, that was um, it, it makes the addiction going through all that seem like a walk in the park because, you know, the I should have he should have been burying me, not me burying him. You know, it was the wrong pecking order. And when that when that hits you, when it's something like that that you do not expect. And it hit you. I mean, I remember falling off of a chair and hyperventilating. I thought I was having a super bad nightmare or something. No, I hear you. He was a Black Hawk gunner in Iraq, so we hold him up high here, Andrew. Um, and, um, you know, these things happen. I mean, we don't always have the explanations or know why. but Right. That's why I take the time to put um, these uh, people out there I talked to you about moments ago here, Jay Clark and Lieutenant Randy Sutton, people that are on the front lines helping our warriors, both here at home and abroad, and when they come back here, to get the proper help they need. It's important that we do this. And so we got to continue to put that message out there uh, big time. Uh, now, Dick, your, your uh, addiction to this medication, this is a bigger problem than we realize. There are a lot of people who get addicted to these medications far more than is out in the that is discussed. I'm thinking there's a lot of this going on. Is there not Dick? How, how, how much of a problem is this? I'm, I'm asking. I think it's a big problem. And I think that's why I think doctors have to, you know, doctors, mm-hmm. you know, one reason a doctor is a doctor because they're very passionate about people. They, and no, there's no doctors that like to see people in a lot of pain, but they, they have to be a little more Well, they're um, not, careful. though, Dick. They're not. They pers- Let me just jump here because I get, I get really well, ripped about this. No, well, they're not, right, because they, they're too quick to prescribe these drugs, Dick. Like you said, you know that because you even tricked some into giving them to you. Yeah, 
I mean, yeah, you, I know. Right? Oh, come on. You're going for a hang toenail, and here's some Percocet for you. This will make you feel better in the morning. Huh. I mean, they're yeah. too quick. No, but then when you tie all of that, Dick, and you tie that to Big Pharma, so you got Big Pharma pushing these medications out there and all these television commercials, don't you think this is all a problem? Well, I, I do, but, you know, for people to be... Now, this is just my opinion, but for, for people are refusing to take responsibility. They're blaming it on the doctors. Yes, the doctors are some at fault because they're the ones writing the prescriptions. Right. But to blame it on the pharmaceuticals, I, I, that I don't understand. All right. uh, for, like, I've had two knee uh, replacements, mm-hmm. and for a short period of time, I had to be back on the opiates. But it was very well controlled. I never knew where the pills were. My wife, Jill, took care of them. And the reason is, otherwise, because when you have, like for me, when I had my knees replaced, they, you were up walking almost within, you know, a half a day after surgery. And to, to try to get your leg to be able to bend straight and, or, you know, to straighten out and then to bend back as far as it will go so you can continue to walk in a normal way. Yeah. Let me tell you, it is, it's brutal. And, um, and so for a very short controlled period of time, those opioids are needed you know, to enable you to do that. Otherwise, I mean, it's, I can't even describe going through that. But, mm-hmm. but again, I, I think a lot of people want to put, that's like me. So many people have tried to, to blame others for my addiction. Every doctor I got a prescription from told me the dangers of it. Mm-hmm. Nobody put a gun to my head. It was, mm-hmm. you know, I took those under my choice. And I think, you know, people are, are want to so blame other people for their problems and it was you know i don't blame anybody other than myself because it yeah. was me that took those pills and put them in my mouth and swallowed them and and i think that was good with well my Dick, recovery you, that your point is well taken i mean i i um, i hear you and i applaud you for saying what you're saying right now so people can hear this from you directly i i don't dispute any of that but the only on the other hand is we can't make them so available dick that's all you know we can't make them. No, I agree. I, I, I totally agree. And, yeah. you know, you can go online and order them from other countries and stuff. They'll mail them to you. That's 100%. 100%. You could get any of that stuff online. There's a whole dark web out there where you can get all kinds of deceitful stuff, I, I am sure. Um, I, you know, just as a closing remark on the pills, Dick, um, I know there are a lot of people who take these things. And what happens is they alter your brains, not in a good way. And that's what that's what camouflages the pain, people. So the, the pain doesn't really go away. It's just camouflaged from the altering of your brain cells. But then you're not really in your right mindset. And you don't even remember things because it elevates your mind in certain ways. And then you want more of that because then you're not dealing with real life. And then when you're not dealing with real life, you're in this, uh, you know, Alice in Wonderland state. And God knows what can happen then. And it's not a good feeling when you feel that way and you're losing your entire no. system. So, oh, no, it's, it's bad, my friend. So, I listen, I don't, I don't suggest anybody try to fight the pain pills, people. Try not to take them, please. Try to stay away from them. And limit them in your life if you feel like you have to take them. Limit them, please. Don't even when the doctors tell you to take them, because they give you a whole pill thing and they give you you know thirty, forty pills. Again, I always tell yourself only take them if it's an extreme emergency. And again, if you're like me, you can't take them because then you know you, I just can't. <laughs> they make me sicker than the problem I started with. So what fun is that? I mean, that's not fun at all. So. All right, Dick, some of the things you're doing now, I want to talk about that in our next chapter here. Um, and, you know, your message is stay in the course. 
Uh, you're a motivational, inspirational speaker, and the, a lot of the work you're doing out there now. And again, some of the running from the marathon back in 82, and so I, I find very fascinating. Um, you've got a great spirit uh, to you, uh, and a, um, a, again, everything always comes back to the human spirit here. I really believe it does. That's how we deal with life's traumas uh, and what we do with it in our lives. Uh, Dick's life has been no cakewalk half the time. Uh, he's had a dark cloud a few times show up unexpectedly, but that happens in life, people. Life is to be celebrated, but there are also those points where... Uh, you know, it slaps you in the head when you least expect it even. Yeah, I don't know. When that happens, I run like hell from those gray clouds as fast as I can, people. Don't like the negative energy here. Want to keep it good and keep it positive here. We'll be back and continue this. Stay in the course. That's a good way to do it. Let's stay the course here. Be back with Dick Beardsley in just a moment. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older, until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa. Award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. When you think about what Dick's been through in his life, right, and you think about sometimes, and I, I, let's just point out for a moment, sometimes we have little things happen in our life and we think, we think it's a trauma, a devastation, like we'll never get over it. But what really is a problem that is insurmountable? What is one, don't you think out there we worry about too much? I think there are people I know who worry about worrying. I think we worry too much, and that stress and anxiety is so bad for all of us in our lives. It's bad for our systems, our bodies, our brains. Don't you think, Dick? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I always try to look on the positive side of things, Malcolm, and, you know, things are going to happen, and you just kind of try to deal with it, and, and um, you know, it, to, to worry about it, you know, not one minute, worrying never added any extra days your life so you know it's uh it's something that's not good for the for the health of your body i know dick as you were just talking i just visualized being in a room with you in an arena and you're on stage talking buddy well i love doing that it's i mm-hmm. i get great joy out of it yeah. and and um yeah it's really uh, well i just visualized know, that in my so mind cool. and my mind went next and i said oh god we got to have a brink of greatness conference and invite some of these world-class people we've had on this program together and really do it you want to see a good program dick huh Oh, my gosh, that would be amazing. Oh, man, I am all over that. I got to tell you, that is really exciting because we've got some unbelievable speakers and some amazing, I mean, we're talking the, we're talking, when you talk about humanity, Dick, we're talking the creme de la creme in life. I mean, people you want to go look up on the brink of greatness, friends, like Shay Eskew, like Sean Swanner, like Jay Clark, like Dick Beardsley, and there are so many others. There are countless ones on there. Their stories are, they're impactful. I mean, they'll change your life. You go back and spend a weekend listening to all these programs, it'll change your life. 
I, I guarantee you, because you just take all that into your body. That's nourishment for your body, nourishment for your brain. It's important. Anyways, we'll make that conference happen at some point, Dick. Um, you, you help me put it all together since this is what you do. You're a, so let me read you this here. This is off his website now. He's a motivational, inspirational speaker. He's a suicide survivor of loss, farm accident survivor, prescription drug addiction survivor. He's a record-breaking marathon runner, and that's the famous 1982 Boston Marathon runner, which we'll talk about next. Uh, Again, he goes on to say he's an author, fishing guide, innkeeper, husband, father, wow, subject of a feature film. Meet Dick Beardsley. (laughs) Mr. Brink Thinker. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Uh, Dick, that's a hell of a lineup, I have to tell you. Well, my wife Jill does a good job with the... um, the website, Malcolm. I'm I'm a very humble person. Yeah, don't blame it all on Jill, brother. There. Stop right there. Don't go blaming it all on Jill. She's laughing right now when she hears me saying this. I know she is. You can't blame it all on Jill. This is a lot of you and what you've done. All she can. Hey, listen. She can only work with what she's got. That's right. You see. And I, I hate to tell you, Jill's probably saying, "Absolutely, Malcolm. I do everything." <laughs> pretty much does. Kevin, that's funny. Spoken like a real... Oh, oh, the, well, there's always a good woman behind any guy that's in that position. You know uh, that, Kevin. Oh, boy. I mean, yes. For me, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. and, and let's reverse that too, Dick, and say, and behind every great successful woman, there's a good man. Well, let's hope so. Well, let's, no, what I'm saying, look, we, don't, we, we know that works both ways. We, this is not a sexist conversation is yeah. what I'm saying. There's a lot of strong women out there who, uh, you know... Who can certainly run the marathon real quick. Hey, let's talk about that marathon in 82 there for a moment. I, I can't let that escape a minute here. Uh, so you're at this marathon here. And from what I understand and read in that famous marathon, I only have a, a couple of moments because then I want to talk about all the great things you're doing. But So you're at the race. I, from what I've gathered, you're going to win the race. And, and at the last minute, what happens, Dick? Well, with um, about 800 meters to go, I had still had about a stride lead on Alberto, and then I got a real bad cramp in my hamstring, and Alberto went flying by me, and then luckily I, I stepped in a pothole I didn't see and almost fell down, but it, it snapped the knot out, so I got my stride back, and we were coming up to the, the top of Hereford Street to the last left-hand turn, and there was about eight or nine state troopers on motorcycles surrounding Alberto now because they thought, well, I was out of it, but they didn't see me come back into the race, you know, get back, catch up to him. And on the last corner, I just, you know, the motorcycles kind of went out to the right to keep the crowd back. And I kind of had to go around him a little bit, but you know, I never use that as an excuse because I got around the motorcycles and I caught back up to Alberto with a little over a hundred meters to go. And then it just came down to basically a hundred meter sprint. And Unfortunately, I, I got out kicked that day and lost the uh, the race by 1.6 seconds. What? Now, listen to that. I mean, it, the thing about the Olympics and the marathons and all of that, Dick, it, it really does trip me up when we say, like, like, every second really matters. I mean, what we're talking about here is to get the whatever the, the, the gold medal is in life. That's the metaphor I'll use here, Dick, okay? The metaphor, yeah? Sure. So if you want that, and everybody has to have a gold medal. You've got to achieve a dream, go for a gold medal, but that was your gold medal. And what we're talking about is, you think about the Olympics, people. You're talking about inside of a second can decide medal or no medal. I mean, is that crazy or what? Like, like in the split of like, right there, like right now, like you can't even snap your fingers that fast, right, Dick? 
Yeah. No, that's so true. And I remember my friends calling me later that day and said, you know, they're going, Beards, you mean to tell me you couldn't make up 1.6 <laughs> seconds in a race that's 26.2 miles? Couldn't long? you trip the guy, like Beards? Come on, Beards. Couldn't you trip the guy? Um, oh, my God. But listen, let me ask you this, not to be a, a smart guy here, but the motorcycle thing, uh, honest question. Honest question. How how much did that did that take? How much time did that take away from you in real time? I mean, you've you've analyzed this thing in your mind a million times over. How much time did that take from it? You know, I think more than anything, it took my focus off of catching back up to Alberto for just a moment to where I all of a sudden now I had to instead of focusing on trying to go trying to go by him. I had to focus on making sure that I didn't get hit by one of those motorcycles. So what was he doing there to begin with, Dick? What was he doing there to begin? He shouldn't have been there, should he? Well, what happened, back then there was no fencing up, and there was over a million spectators that day watching the race, and and there was barely room for Alberto and I to run side by side, and so the motorcycles were there to kind of keep the crowds back. Well, then when I got that hamstring cramp with about 800 meters to go and, and Alberto got almost a hundred meter lead on me. The motorcycles basically circled around him to keep the crowds back. And then they thought I was out of the race. Well, then I, you know, I made that comeback and they didn't even know I was there. And that's why they were just kind of going off to the right to try to keep the crowd back. And then they cut me right off. there, kind of towards okay, the so end. How ma- so, answer, so answer my question. How many seconds? One, two, half a second, a full second, two seconds, yeah, three seconds? How I, long? What do you think? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, it's hard to say. I, What's I, your guess? I, if you're going to guess, what would your guess be? Maybe a couple seconds, perhaps. Yeah, you better believe it's a couple seconds, buddy. I mean, come on. Let's, let's cut to the chase here. <laughs> it's, uh, come on. You are rightfully the winner of that 90, 1982 marathon. Well, it... Uh, it only the good Lord knows for sure what would have happened. But, um, you know, Alberto, uh, he's wearing the Laurel wreath, not Dick Beardsley. So. <laughs> yeah, but you've got a lot more. You're, you're doing just fine, buddy. Just fine. Oh, you bet. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell us now about the journey forward, stay in the course. What is it you want to accomplish, brother? And by the way, your book, which is called Stay in the Course, A Runner's Toughest Race, that is going to be found, friends, in the America Out Loud bookstore. It will connect you to Amazon, and you'll be able to purchase it uh, for and read it yourself, okay? So we have a whole bookstore, Dick, on the site there on the platform. Oh, we, nice. We put all of the books in there from all of our guests and all of our experts and cool people doing cool stuff on the planets, you know? Yep. I love you it. You bet. So tell me what the what the uh, future holds now with staying the course. What What's the plan? Well, you know, uh, again, we're kind of going to update the book because it needs to be updated, kind of a, a version two of You're it. You're going to do a version then, two. But, you know, now, yep, and, and life is good. You know, I've got two wonderful stepsons, my wife, Jill, boys. One just turned 23 and the other is 21, and I love them like they're my own. And, awesome. And, um, you know, we own a, a Lake Bemidji bed and breakfast here right in Bemidji yeah, that my wife, Jill, that's that. kind of her thing. Wow. Hold on now. I want to talk about that most. So you have a whole – yeah, there's a, there's a, actually a link on the site there. I want, I didn't click it early, but I'm going to click it right now. The bed and breakfast, huh? What's it called? Lake? Yeah. How do you pronounce that lake? What? Lake Bemidji bed and breakfast. It Bemidji. overlooks beautiful Lake Bemidji. And, um, but they don't make it an easy name to say, do they, buddy? Lake Bemidji. <laughs> I will see in Minnesota. I know. In Minnesota, everybody knows – Oh, Bemidji, but people ask me, how do you pronounce that? How do you spell it? It's kind of fun. Oh, this looks beautiful, this bed and breakfast. Wow. Uh, this is really charming. How many rooms in here? How many bedrooms? 
Um, we just got three rooms, and then we've got a big great room for people, and then a mini great room upstairs, and it beautiful overlooks Lake Bemidji, and wow. it's all because of my wife Jill. She has done an incredible job with this. And, I love it. And um, I'm, you know, I I do my fishing guide oh. business both winter and summer, and then I wow. do a lot of motivational and inspirational speaking around the country. Yeah. And uh, yeah, life is good. Yeah, I see. That. I'm looking at the desserts on your site. Life looks real good, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing I run, Malcolm, because I got them in front of me 24 seven. Who makes all them, Jill? Does Jill do that? Jill does, yeah. Oh, God bless her, man. She, I could tell. This, I know it. This, you could just tell by these pictures. This has a, a really nice, classy, simple touch. Uh, somebody yeah. who has a, uh, a knack for that, you know. She does. Um, she really yeah, does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, life is about the simple pleasures, really, like the flowers you have on the patio. Okay, the flowers. Right. The, it, life is about details, Dick. And this is back to your inspirational speaking, which is really the bed and breakfast. I mean, Jill would be an inspirational innkeeper owner because that's what she's also inspirational in the work she does. Look at the look at the little seats out in the woods there, the um, under the trees. Oh yeah. Uh, the view from the lake. I mean, this is like paradise here. Look at the pictures of the fish. It really is. These are your sons here, I assume, in the pictures, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, and that's your wife, Jill, there. She's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful group, beautiful family. Yeah, yeah. Look well, at the great you. room. I love the great room. Wow. Well, you got to invite us out there, buddy. Gotta, i got to get out there now. Yeah, you gotta... <laughs> You're welcome anytime. I'd love, we'd love to have you out here. We've got to have a retreat out there, buddy. we got to have a retreat out there. Absolutely. Well, as long as the conference we have is during the summer, yes, exactly. we can have a retreat out there. <laughs> yeah. It has been a long winter. I mean, we've had days where it's been actually minus 45 degrees actual temperature up here. So do it, people stay cold. at the inn when it's that cold? cold? Do, do you get res- residency then, or is it like people just stay away, don't they? Or No. You know what, Malcolm, you, if, when wow. you're born and raised and live in this part of Minnesota, <laughs> you better enjoy the great outdoors because okay. otherwise you'd be locked up inside for six months. All but right. we, uh-huh. know, we, we snowmobile, we ice fish, we cross-country ski. Life is... Oh, we that's funny. I, I'm so time. glad you said that. I was afraid you were going to say, when you live in this god forbidden Oh, Dick, don't go there, <laughs> I was going to say. What are you doing here? <laughs> no, it's good. We, we love it up here. I love it. I love it. You are definitely a good speaker. I can see that, man. I'm dying to see you on stage here. Um, it's really good stuff. So that, so right now, I see, uh, so Jill, is, she's, she's really your partner. She's your life partner, isn't she? Absolutely, and she yeah. she, she runs all my... Speaking, I used to have an agent, and then mm-hmm. Jill took that over about 10, 11 years ago and is, does a better job. Well, than I see that. Could. I see it. I yeah, see her I see. email here, Jill at DickBeardsley.com. I realize everything she's done. I'm a marketer. I did it for, uh, I ran a marketing agency, Dick, for two and a half decades. I worked with corporations. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did it for two and a half, I did a long time, two and a half decades. I worked with some of the big corporations around the globe and developing their brand and all that marketing. So I totally get marketing. That's why I love to look at these sites and see what you're doing here. So you, you, speak to any kind of group any anything at all or yeah i really do malcolm from i've spoke to first and second graders all the way up to large corporate uh okay. conventions and schools and everything in between and i, I yeah whether there's 10 people or ten thousand people i uh I, I love doing it, and I, I kind of speak from the heart. It's a passion. I, well, I see that, buddy. It's a passion. I mean, you don't is. have to sell it, me. It is. I'm already I, sold for it's sure. Powerful. Yeah, our people are, I mean, everybody listening here is sold. They can hear your voice. You can read body language in somebody when they talk, Dick, you know? 
I mean, you, I you, agree. You yeah. Betcha. Oh, yeah. You know sincerity when you hear it, buddy. <laughs> you know authenticity. Yeah, you I mean, oh yeah. No, it reeks. It's loud and clear. People know this stuff. I mean, you can't pull the wool over folks' eyes. Dick, I, I really uh, congratulate you, brother. And you've been through so much, and it's so beautiful. Uh, to have you on, first of all, to be part of the Brink of Greatness family here and uh, to open up conversation with you is such a privilege, okay? Um, well, Malcolm, I can't thank you enough for uh, a great interview and, and let me be on your show. Um, I really appreciate it very much. Well, it is our pleasure indeed. And the website is dickbeardsley.com, friends, B-E-A-R-D-S-L-E-Y. All the links will be on thebrinkofgreatness.com and at our mothership, americaoutloud.com, friends. You'll see it all there. All the links and information there, we always put them with every post so you can catch out, reach to these folks, and see what's going on. Again, I'm also going to put a link to Jill's Inn in there, just because you may be looking for a nice little bed and breakfast in the great state of Minnesota. And this might be a place you want to check out. It looks charming would be an understatement. Uh, It is really impressive, so take a look at that as well. Uh, fishing, all this. Maybe you get a couple of customers out of it. Who knows? But it looks really, really good, really beautiful. And and again, Dick's site, you'll see that. And the book is uh, Stay in the Course, A Runner's Toughest Race. That's back to that 82 Boston Marathon race, friends. There's a lot to the story here. Friends, our stories keep coming here on the Brink of Greatness. You'll find Brink Charities back at uh, brinkofgreatness.com. I've really developed this uh, platform into more and more and more. We appreciate you being part of it. Uh, But, you know, take a look at some of the charities and help some of those folks out. Uh, There's some of the people out there in the front lines uh, doing some amazing work. Uh, And so we're thrilled here to be able to highlight all this. It's a pleasure and privilege for us, for Malcolm, and for Kevin to be able to bring these stories to you. Uh, It's our privilege and our pleasure uh, each and every day, uh, the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, 9 a.m. You'll hear the first show here, friends, on America Out Loud and the Brink of Greatness. America Out Loud Talk Radio, of course, you know that. The Brink of Greatness, friends, can only happen when you're willing to push beyond the boundaries and limitations that are holding you back. Dick Beardsley knows about those limitations, and they never held him back. So what's holding you back, friends? Remember to take the next leap forward.